question. Okay. When should we blow up the moon? <laughs> Only when you've collected um, all the moon crystals in Super Mario World. What? I haven't played that one, so oh, I don't dude. even know about moon crystals in Super oh, Mario World. Oh, you need to play. You need to play. All I know is that the moon knows what it did, and it's time to blow it up. <laughs> you guys had some fun with that last night. Yeah, so for those who uh, aren't on Twitter, God bless you. God bless you. You're probably a, a good person if you're not on Twitter. But um, for some reason, uh, Father Dan, at Father Rocket Dan, uh, will occasionally remind us that, you know what? It's time to blow up the moon. Why is it time to blow up the moon? It's nothing personal. The moon knows what it did, and it's just time to blow up the moon. <laughs> and so I ended up staying up way too late talking about how we should blow up the moon on Twitter. And it was just so much fun, especially after all the goofiness and all like the super hyper political blah, blah, blah that was going on over the weekend. It was refreshing just to get back to basics, talk about something concrete, apolitical. We should blow up the moon. Uh, isn't blowing things up inherently political? I mean, it depends on what you mean by political. Like, you're gonna, you're like, gonna need, you're gonna need like, you're gonna need the space force to blow it up potentially and um, who runs the space force well i mean we don't have to use a space force okay. we can the uh, i mean if you think that the vatican doesn't have the power to blow up the moon you're a fool <laughs> you're just a fool you still understand you know so we've got them um working on other contacts via twitter people who may or may not have the ability power to blow up the moon what about the uh, Martians who live on the moon? Are they Catholic? The Martians who live on the moon? Yes. <laughs> those those moon Martians that live up yes. there? Yeah. Um, they don't have rational souls, and uh, it'll okay. be more like um, like pest Killing control, off. really. Okay. <laughs> because they really should just be on Mars. They should not be on the moon, so that's on them, you know? So just like people who live in Pittsburgh. What does that mean? I don't know. I was just trying to be <laughs> a jerk, and it didn't come out right. Anyways. So, yeah. <laughs> we should blow up the moon sooner rather than later. I'm glad that we agreed on this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. <laughs> I'm Father Anthony Sharapa. And I'm Father Harrison Air. Father Harrison, you've been dying to tell me something about an Uber. Oh, so my So, I'm excited gosh. to hear about what, what's the deal with this like, Uber experience Did, did you, you see this in the DMs? The priest I No, see, the, I, I like half read it. Because to. I really only care about what I'm saying in the right. priest DM. Like, uh, what you guys are saying, unless it's about blowing up the moon, I don't care so much about. So gotcha. I'm vaguely aware that you had some kind of experience on an Uber. <laughs> so uh, we, I took my couple days uh, post-Christmas break last week, and I went to go. I was having lunch with my sister, and I was getting an Uber back to the place I was staying at. And... Um, uh, so we, 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 you know, you do your thing with Uber and everything. And then uh, I went to the guy, the guy comes around and I see on the side of his car, a decal. I'm like, this is not going to go well, is it? Wait, wait, a what? A decal. Like What's a sticker. A decal? Like a, like a big sticker that you'd put on your car type of thing. You mean like a decal? <laughs> a decal? Are you? <laughs> wait, are you serious? <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> wait a second. This is boring. I'm pretty sure it's called, it's pronounced decal. It's pronounced decal. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I I really don't know because I'm like a hundred percent sure it's decal. I've never sure heard about it's decal. decal. I've never decal heard it sounds like um like something never... that you would pay like to to buy something like a it sounds like a shekel or like a... I've, I've never heard it pronounced decal, but I can see how that makes sense, like decalcification or something like right. that. Right. So I, I get it. I'm not I'm not gonna. But that's how I've always pronounced it, and that's how I've always heard it pronounced. Okay, just you can continue your story, but know that my entire worldview is in limbo right now. <laughs> I have no ground to stand on. I'm confused well, well, and distressed. I'm sure our followers will will pine in on this as, after Yikes. they hear about this. Okay. So anyway. there's a large sticker on the side of his car. All right. Okay. We, we sticker not sticker. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. I'm like this is not gonna go well, is it? I get into the car. He says, "How are you doing today?" I said, "Oh, not too bad. I just had lunch with my sister." Well, I'm doing fan beeping fantastic. And I'm like, "Oh, isn't that great?" All right. Awesome. He goes. Well, I'm so-and-so. I can't remember his name. I'm so-and-so. And for the next... I'm a motivational speaker. And for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to make you feel better. Wait, wait, wait. Seriously? This was this guy speaking to you? Yeah. 
with those words. Yes. I would have not got, I would have left the car. There's no way I could have sta- stood in there. He was already driving at this point. Oh, no. Okay. I'm really anxious just listening to this story. And I have my collar on and everything, right? Okay. And so he goes into this whole thing about how he thinks it's all about positive thinking, blah, blah, blah. Um, and how, you know, it's, we always say, I'm good when people say, how are you doing? Sure. It's like a, it's a formality, blah, blah, blah. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then he goes on to say how, well, the thing is, though, if we say we're fantastic and if we swear when we do that, science says that we're actually going to feel better and we're going to make other people feel better, too. <laughs> so I want you to say it with me. I'm fan bleeping tastic. Wait, was he using the F word? Yes. Maybe that's how we should start the podcast from now on. Hi, I'm Father Anthony Strava, and I am fan effing tastic. And then the, the people who are listening to us will feel good. We'll feel. This is a great idea. I love it. I love and then it. I said, "Well, I won't swear." Okay. So he goes, "Okay, you can say fan freaking tastic." Fan freaking tastic. I said it. He goes, "Just shout it." So I said, "Fine, whatever." Because I'm like, "This is just going to be a really painful." This is this is um social terrorism is yes, what you're experiencing. Is. Yes, totally. And I'm like. Anyways, uh, so I he goes, don't you feel better? I said, nope. He goes, you don't feel the endorphin rush? I said, nope. <laughs> well, you're the 1%. 99% of people who do that feel better. So I, it's my mission in life because, you know, I've done all sorts of things. I've been a millionaire. I've done this. I've done that. I'm like, thinking, if you're a millionaire, why are you driving a Uber? Uh, I've done all these things. I've done all this. But it's my mission in life to make people feel good because that's all that there is in life. If we're kind to each other, if we feel good, then that's all there is. <sighs> and he's going on and on and on and and in, like this all self-help pre-motivational stuff. Uh-huh. And you know how I feel about Which self-help. Is your, yeah, pre- it's your favorite stuff. Oh, it's my total favorite stuff. <laughs> um, so he goes, okay, now what do you do for a living? And I have my collar on. I said, well, I'm a right. priest. Oh, well, I don't believe in God. Okay, fine. So we keep on talking. He goes, you know, I was giving a ride once this lady, and he just kept on talking at me. Like I could have countered a lot of stuff he said. Sure, but there was it was going to be it wasn't going to go anywhere with that. Yeah. But then he, he says, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist, and I'm thinking to myself that that's the case. Then why do you why do you have a mission to make people feel good if everything's pointless and meaningless right. and absurd? This doesn't make any sense. The questions I could have asked. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I gave I gave a ride to a Reiki healer once. Do you know what a Reiki healer is? I said, I do know what a Reiki healer is. Um, he goes, yeah, and she even heals aliens. Oh. I said, oh, okay. He goes, Those poor sick aliens that we see yeah. all the time in real life. I was like, oh, interesting. Well, uh, he goes, yeah. It just it shows you. It really, she, she's really helped me see just how much more, how much there's aliens out there. I'm mm. like, oh, okay. I'm like... <laughs> Am I going to make it to my destination alive? Right. <laughs> so we finally kind of get to my destination. And then he goes, you know, something to the effect of, here's my business card. Uh, I, I really think you're going to contact me so that we can, I can go on my YouTube channel. Cause you know, my, my, I did a YouTube interview once and I got 155 views in 24 hours. That's a lot of views. And I'm thinking to myself, buddy, no. <laughs> Anyways, and there was just a lot of other stuff, and I was just like, wow. dear Lord, get me out. And I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. I left a one-star rating on my Uber driver. Well, yeah. To forewarn other people. Right. I mean, that's just, yeah, you have to. It was the oh, worst Uber experience I've ever had in my life. No, like I said, I was feeling anxious just listening to that story. Because, one, I'm not, like, really great with, like, uh, social interaction like that. Like, I never know the rules or what to do. And that would make just in general the the idea of getting an Uber freaks me out. Right. But then like having some guy like talk crazy at you for like however long is is ridiculous. So yeah. there are some like there are plenty of normal atheists out there. They're atheists and they don't make a big deal out of it. Like I'm sure they are. But my goodness, if you don't believe in God, if you're not a Christian, the the tendency to like go off the deep end with weird superstitious beliefs I found to be very strong. Yeah. Like nothing's dumber than the idea of sending good vibes at people or the universe caring about what you think or any yeah. of that other garbage. So I know. And it yeah, there's uh oh, I was texting my sister and I was texting different friends and like this is what's going on right now. This is not fun. And I started to appreciate why cabs are better. Oh yeah. Because I know if I get into a cab, everything's controlled. And I'll mm-hmm. never have to deal with that. 
Uber, it's anyone can start an Uber drive to be an Uber it's driver. True. And I even thought former myself, millionaires, even former millionaires, and you know, driving a two thousand one Nissan. Um, I was just, which is fine. It's not nothing yeah. wrong with driving a two thousand one Nissan. I'm just like, if you're a millionaire, you probably wouldn't be driving a two thousand one Nissan. <laughs> uh, he had some hard times. He didn't think positively <laughs> enough when he lost all that money. I guess I it don't was know. all positive thinking stuff. And then he's like, "That's amazing." And he goes, "You know." I love that principle. Have you heard that phrase? I think, therefore I am. I really believe that phrase. And I'm like, believe yeah, I have that heard that. Phrase. Mm-hmm. I have heard that. I said, that's from Descartes. And here's why Descartes wrong. <laughs> and I well, gave him a little philosophy lesson. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll pray for that poor soul. Cause it's, yeah. like, it really is. It was the most, it's funny. I always had this idea of mm-hmm. like, wouldn't it be cool if, if, uh, if I got an Uber as a priest, just drove people around after that experience i'm like yeah i would never do that in a million years because i can see how that would freak people out <laughs> it definitely would uh poor guy doesn't believe in the existence of god but someone who talked about the existence of god even gave five whole proofs for them was thomas aquinas this is our tribute to him the summa tweetologica summa tweetologica summa tweetologica Plus, I'm gonna give you an A plus on that one. Right, nice, that smooth, was, easy, that was quick. Smooth. Yep, moving you got through it. it. Nice. <laughs> so the Summa Theologica was Saint Thomas Aquinas's summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up, this is from at fr O'Brien at Father O'Brien. One of the more awkward moments in the priesthood is walking into the confessional when there's a few people already waiting. You can't look at the line in case they want to go anonymously. To others who prefer face-to-face, the priest comes across as unfriendly for not saying hello. And I'm so glad that Father O'Brien tweeted this because I was like, oh, he knows. Mm-hmm. Because that, I mean, this happens to me too. Like, Even if you show up a little bit early, there will always be people who are kind of like lined up beforehand. And I never want to look at them because especially the person who's coming in first – because what if yeah. they want to be anonymous? Yeah. But then you feel like a jerk because you're not making eye contact. Yeah. And sometimes, like, you know how you can feel people looking at you? Like, sometimes I feel people looking at me like they want to say hi, and I don't want to be rude. It's a very awkward thing. Yeah. So I think the only – Father Harrison, the only way we can fix this is if we just show up, like, an hour beforehand. Before anyone – Or <laughs> – Oh, okay. Or we create a confessional box for the line where people walk in – uh-huh. are anonymous and then can walk into the confessional when it's their turn oh like so have like a whole anonymous line yeah you just put like a wall up in front of them or something like that and i they like have to sit this. behind the wall exactly so that'll be because nothing says warm and welcoming at a parish like a wall for you to stare at yeah i totally agree i it's i have the same issue it's just it's awkward but the fo- thing is, folks, the seal is the seal. And even if I saw you beforehand, I still can't talk about anything that you've said. I can't treat you any differently. Mm-hmm. So don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. And, and since, I mean, man, I feel like whenever we bring up confession, we start talking a lot about confession because it's, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot to talk about with confession. Yeah. But yeah, like there'll be times where people will start talking to me about their confession like I remember their confession. Which I might, but I'm like, I can't say anything. Exactly. Like I might or may not. And to be honest, yeah. even when people are going face to face to me, yeah. I won't really look at them because I just don't want to remember them. I to be honest, am hating more and more face to face. Like, okay, I'm not against it. I'm not against it, and there's yeah. places for it. Like, there's places and times for it, but like in the general, like your weekly confessional experience, I think it shouldn't be there. Yeah, I agree. Um, and but and I will depending on what parish I'm at, there are some places where the face to face confessional space is so small and awkward that I will not allow it. Um, 
overall, I prefer not face to face unless like I'm outside the parish. Yeah. Like if I'm outside the, like the parish and someone wants to go to confession, no or problem. Or you're at like a youth event or something. Yeah. Like that, go ahead. Like ask me. No big deal. Twenty different confessors going or something. Yeah. But for the ordinary in the parish confessional, meh. Not a huge fan of face to face. My but, reason, yeah. My yeah. reason is it becomes it gets sometimes too conversational. Yeah. And like I don't know, you might be talking about how their mom's doing or something like that, right? And then you're like, you're like, wait, when you're talking to someone about something, wait, wait, did I talk about that conversation with someone in the confessional? Because if I did, yeah, I confusing. can't actually say anything about that, mm-hmm. right? And it just gets too comfortable. I mean, it's not yeah. a bad thing, and I guess I'm not opposed to it per se, but I just I'm starting to see more and more the value of of the screen. It adds a it adds a solemnity to the experience. I agree too. Yeah. All right. All right. Let, let's keep the theme of confessions going. All right. All right. Oh, well, yeah. yeah yes. One. Yes. You know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, at Fairy Poor, uh, her name is Even Cardi is Getting Political, says this. At G the Silent Ellipses. So today is my birthday, and I got kicked out of the confessional by the pastor because my toddler wouldn't get out of there. He did agree to say a little prayer for me. What does it mean? Am I absolved? Does the priest have ADD? Okay. Uh, hey, before you dive into this, yes. first of all, at Fairy Poor, uh, you should have asked us first, why are you asking Tommy these things? Yeah, exactly. If I mean, come on. Like, um, Tom, I mean, we're going to have Tommy on later on the show, like we always plan to. Yeah. But like, you should have just gone right to the priest. Okay, I just had to get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, clericalism is alive and well, folks. <laughs> Although, Tommy did tag us right away. Yep, he knows he knows what's uh, what's up. He knows what's up. So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what your experiences have been. I, I we we've all had a bit of a discussion with this. My my thing is this: if you have a toddler, someone who's too young to stay out on their own, and uh, maybe even too big that they might even hear a little bit of the confession, it doesn't matter. Bring them in. I say because the kid's not going to know. The, you, I mean, you know, like it, it's. Uh, it's really hard for parents to go to confession when they have to also drag their kids along sometimes because mm-hmm. one spouse is at work or whatever. There is no wrong with bringing your kid to the confessional. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's happened to me numerous times. I remember the first time. I'm, I just remember. Sorry, no, nope, never mind. I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'll jump. I'll jump in. Yeah. So yeah, this is a thing that happens to priests. Um, when it happened to me the first time, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is a thing that's happening. Because I, yeah, I, exactly. I hadn't thought of it. I yeah. hadn't thought of that. But I was like, oh, whatever. I mean, makes- if the parent feels comfortable with their kid, then uh, okay. You know, there's nothing that says other people can't hear your confession. It's right. just that if they're, and I, you know, I would assume that the rule is if you're of the age of reason, then you're bound by the seal. Yeah. But if you're like toddler doesn't, I mean, yeah. And I, also, I get like. Maybe you don't want to trust strangers with your kid, even if they are strangers that are in line for the confessional. Like there I, might not be anyone in the line, right? Yeah. And then you don't you don't want your kid running around destroying the church, you know, yeah. or something like that. And I you don't know what? Know. I mean, I love your kid, but I don't want him running around destroying the church either. So, eh, no big deal. But it's yeah, it's a shame because to kick someone out of the confessional for that, like that just seems dumb <laughs> yeah like why like i i get like being confused or being annoyed we all get confused or annoyed at sometimes but like your first instinct is to not absolve this person because uh, yeah. I, I, who knows what was going on with that pre- but that but that that's a say yeah 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 and so your parents if you have to bring your kids with you to confession that's okay and yeah. because you have a right to the sacrament actually in the law mm-hmm. of the church if you're going to confession unless a the only thing a priest can do is he can withhold absolution if there's a valid reason to withhold it. But if yeah. confession has started, I, I hate to say, I, I hate to speak against the brother priest here in that sense, but it's like he did wrong there because this person had a right yeah. to the sacrament and they were due either their absolution, which at 99% of the time, that's probably what it was yeah. due or uh, why they couldn't receive absolution in that moment. Mm-hmm. So, Parents, don't be afraid to bring your kids to confession. Yep. And if they, if a priest starts to kind of give you a hard time about it, say, Father, the law of the church says, in a gentle way, obviously, the law of the church does say I have a right to the sacrament, so I'd like mm-hmm. to either receive absolution or why I can't receive absolution today. Yeah, and this this formed a, a interesting conversation on on the Twitter um, because I think Sean McAfee 
um, uh, mentioned that he had to do that. And I was like, oh, I was really proud of him because right. it, you know, it can be tough to stand up to a cleric in that way. We joke about clericalism on this as part of our shtick, but yeah. like, it, it can be tough to tell a priest, no, you're wrong, when he's obviously wrong, even if you know yeah. he's wrong. Yeah. And to do that in like a firm but fair way... It, it was encouraging to see happen. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's that's important. That's good. To, that's a good thing that happens. Yeah, cool. All right. Speaking of clerics, this one is from at Father Rocket Dan, and he says, "Through the waters of baptism, God has changed you into good wine. Use your gifts of the Spirit to bring others to the wedding banquet." And I picked this week for a few reasons. One, because it seemed like everyone was loving the gospel from last weekend. Cana's awesome, Wedding man. Wedding Cana. Like, we had everybody commenting on it, and, I mean, I really enjoyed preaching on it. Um, you know, you have Father Rocket Dan doing tweets. You were doing tweets. Uh, there's just so much in this Wedding Feast of Cana um, gospel. Like, the imagery is beautiful and fun to work with. Uh, it was just really cool, and I think a yeah. lot of people got a lot out of it. And um, that was just a, a little example of, like, these like deep spiritual things you can get in a few words and a few images from this gospel. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's a. Uh, I think everyone was getting pretty stoked about this gospels weekend, and um, what I find kind of beautiful in a way too. It's while it's ordinary time, it's actually this is the third epiphany account. Yeah. Right. So uh, when you pray evening prayer, the canticles for epiphany, they go around three things: the epiphany with the magi, the mm-hmm. epiphany at baptism, and the epiphany at Cana. Yeah. Right. So once every three years, we get the third feast of the epiphany which I really mm-hmm. kind of love. And that's why it's that Sunday, because it's following on those other two. It's cool yeah. stuff. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Cool. And and for people who are like, what's the epiphany? It's just God revealing himself, Jesus Christ revealing kind of who he is, what his mission is. Yeah. In a particular way, the first times he does it is in these three times. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, this is more than just a dude. This is Jesus. This is the God man. So. Yeah. Amen. It's good stuff. Yeah. Cool. All right. At Jeremy McClellan. Exodus 90 is for chumps. Today, I begin Leviticus 3000, an intense eight-year spiritual retreat, which includes daily 23-hour prayer sessions, fasting from all non-sand-related foods, and early injections of testosterone HGH. It's $6,000 a week, but are you mad enough to join me? (laughs) Okay. So I feel like... Jeremy is getting way too much of his material from from subtweeting me. I'm gonna have to start to ask for a commission from Mr. McClellan over there. Um, so we'll talk about what this is—the Exodus 90 and everything later on. But uh, my goodness, he has a great way of taking like fun little Catholic Twitter arguments and just taking them to the next level. He's uh, yeah. he's great. Yeah, I thought it was just this is, and then um, Ro Postle had a reply, which was also quite good as well. Uh, oh crap! I just lost it. Um, so, do, 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 do. Waiting music. Here it is. Manamana. Okay. <laughs> Ethan Stuivey. Yeah, I found it. Yeah, Ethan Stuivey. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm starting the Tobit to- uh, to- 365, where you can pay one dollar a day to have a bird crap on in your eye every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see twitter twitter is also good folks mm-hmm. twitter despite what may have happened over the weekend yep twitter's good it can be and you it can be a lot of fun right people he's got to follow right people and do the right things yeah okay so let's get that in there all right those are some good tweets but let's get another one let's get one from our patreon pontifications patreon pontifications you support us we read your tweets Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. If you're part of our $5 Pastoral Council tier or $10 Church Lady tier, you have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. So this week's chosen tweet was chosen by at Cecilia Tortilla. And it's, first of all, at Cecilia Tortilla, I don't know why you didn't make your Twitter handle at Cecilia Tortilla. That would have been way better. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Free advice if you ever want to change your Twitter handle. And she chose to tweet from at uh, Anne Helen, 
And Anne Helen tweets, when I covered the March for Life two years ago, I was struck by how much of it is composed of kids treating it as a field trip. The school goes every year. You come along to flirt and have fun with your friends and other teens. Marching for life is an afterthought. And then at Anne Helen goes on to do a whole like thread about the march, what it is and what it isn't. But uh, yeah, so the march happened. Mm-hmm. And the march is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, okay, so I get what Anne's saying here. Because yeah, there's a lot of young people there. A lot of them probably kind of treating it like uh, a party or a way to get out of school. Um, but I, 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 I trouble. Okay. So I'm not a huge fan of the March to be perfectly honest. Hmm. Like I like that there is a witness to life. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the idea of witnessing and marching, but it seems like with anything that's worthwhile these days, it gets co-opted by either special interests or like, I always disliked the whole, Let's gather at the mall and have politicians talk to us, same politicians who seem not to do anything actually about abortion, mm-hmm. or you have people kind of plugging their thing, and it's just I, I'm very cynical about all of that. Um, the best parts of the March for Life for me were the vigil mass at um, the Basilica the night before, and then the youth rally masses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's great, and there's such a spirit of joy when all the Catholics descend upon the mall, uh, and there's something good about being joyful at the march and Mm -hmm. it becomes this kind of big uh catholic reunion i think there's something good about that because it's like you are witnessing like the love between people and these people are worthwhile there's something about that i think is a very good witness yeah i do wish it was instead of like a political protest march i really wish it was more of, of a prayer march it was hmm. a eucharistic procession something more concentrated on prayer because i think that'd be more effective right but i mean if you have kids there acting like kids yeah that's gonna happen uh, but maybe they are first of all you don't know everything that's going on in their interior uh and i i mean i didn't see this as much of a problem it's you, do, you don't expect every like teen who uh thinks abortion is bad to, like, what do you expect their attitude to be at every point in time during the march? I don't know. Right. I just didn't care for that mm. perspective. Right. I don't know if any of that made sense, but eh, eh. So, well, I have a, I have a comment sort of on this. Um, like, first, I'm a Canadian, so, uh, I you know, I've always thought it'd be neat to, to participate in that one time for sure. And hopefully one day I'll get a chance to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and we have our marches here too. They're much smaller scale. Partially because we don't exist, so where can yeah. we march? Like, where are you going to go? Exactly. Into the frozen tundra? <laughs> you all die. It's ridiculous. We're in Janet's void, essentially. <laughs> Good. Um, but, so, I, I hear you what you're saying about the political side of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, some friends of mine made a comment a few weeks ago, because I, I get very, I'm very kind of apolitical in many ways. I, I, I think it's because of the way modern politics just presents itself sure. but at the same time they made this really convincing argument they said remember though man's a pol- by nature a political creature mm. so if he's a by nature a political creature that means he's going to need to do political things to help pursue the common good and that includes doing things like marches it keeps people i i would agree that perhaps it gets too co-opted by the modern political narrative right yeah and i would agree with their but I do think that there's something to Catholics being political uh, because look what look at uh, Catholics and, and Protestants, et cetera, when they were were recording on Martin Luther King Day, in the mm-hmm. which was an American holiday. Um, and look what Catholics and other Protestants did to, for civil rights when they were marching for that in the 60s. Yeah. Right? And that was a good. And that was a yeah. pursuing a common good. And I, I just feel that perhaps... I think it's maybe where our frustration comes from. It's that we do the march, but nothing happens after that. It's not making the statement it should be making, and it's mm-hmm. not getting maybe even the coverage it should be getting. Or if it does, it's getting the wrong coverage, or yeah. it's being co-opted for another political thing, or it's misrepresenting things like oh, thousands of people were in Washington, D.C. No, hundreds of thousands, right? Yeah. Um, stuff like this needs to be brought to our attention for sure it's just uh, my my question is wh- what's the effect of the march in going forward yeah it's a good point and so yeah just to i mean clarify it's not that it's political that bothers me it's more like the partisan hackery and the right. like the games like not that 
political things of a political nature are wrong um like you said but just it becomes um not what's supposed to be right. i guess yep so so yeah there you go but you know what uh is at all you know who uh, the march has a lot of presbyters actually at it a lot of priests yeah. descend upon the march so now it's time for presbyteral exhortations and now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Oh, yes. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. I'll give you a B. I would, yeah. have given you, I would have given you a little bit higher if you didn't stumble over your words. Because <laughs> it, was, it was bad because when I stumbled over my words, two, I was like, these are two words that are related yeah that's a transition count it <laughs> so, uh, a little rough on the transitioning part of the transition <laughs> okay so today on presbyteral exhortations we're gonna talk about penance oh, penance okay. you see i would have left the jeremy mcclellan tweet aside if i knew I, I should have also read the notes before. I, we literally have show notes. It says, I know. Well, I, just, <laughs> or, I was no, still presuming you are going to talk about... Notes, at the top of the notes, it says, clerically speaking, the date. Right beneath that, it says, on penance. Yes. I just... I remember we were going to talk about something else. It's all good. It's all good. I'm fine. Okay. We're fine. So, we're all mm, fine. For those paying attention. <laughs> Not me, apparently. I, I got into a little bit of trouble uh, on Twitter because... Actually, I was totally subtweeting at Bropostle because I saw that he was doing the um, Exodus 90 thing. And what the Exodus 90 thing is, in short, is a prayer and fasting program with community. It's kind of like a super Lent. So it starts now. It goes all the way through Lent. It will end on Easter. And I was basing my tweets on kind of things I had known about or thought I knew about Exodus 90. So I just started ripping the thing to shreds. Uh, and then I got into so people like strongly disagree with me. So let's just take a step back from all that and let's just talk about uh, what is penance? Why do we do it? Mm. So Father Harrison, question. Okay. What is penance? Penance is our actions that we do to show our sorrow for our sins, uh, uh, actions that help us to detach from sin, and actions that help us to choose God more. Yeah, excellent. So you touched on a few different things there, all of which are important because penance, it's a multifaceted um, activity that we do, Mm -hmm. of course, aided by God's grace. But to understand why we need penance and why we do penance, we have to understand why we need it. So before the fall, when God creates Adam and Eve, we are in harmony with ourselves, our intellect and our will uh, particularly our intellect, it rules over the rest of our um, powers. So mm-hmm. after the fall, we get all discombobulated. So everyone has the experience of, I want to do this good thing. Like, I know this is a good thing to do, but I also want to do this bad thing. Right. Right. So the example I use all the time is that whenever I talk about this, Father Harrison, let's say you have an ice cream cone. Okay. It's good that you have the ice cream cone, right? right. Yeah. It would be good for me to have an ice cream cone too. Mm-hmm. So I decide, you know what? I'm going to punch Father Harrison in the face and take your ice cream cone. Why did I do that? Weird because flex, cream... but okay. Yeah, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> I did that because the ice cream cone is good. But my <laughs> error was in this. The good of your face is a higher good, a better good than the good of the ice cream cone. Oh, you think my face is good. Thank you. Hey, there you go. See? <laughs> this is this is the thing. This is the thing. We never choose evil for the sake of evil. We never choose evil for the sake of evil. Whenever we do something evil, we think it will be good. Mm-hmm. At the very least, good for us. Like, as extreme as you can get it, like, oh, I'm going to do this evil thing, and I know it's evil. I'm going to do it anyway. Why, you, why do you do it? Because you think it's good to do evil. See how that right. works? Yeah. Okay, so that's what sin is. It's choosing lesser goods before higher goods. So we'll mm-hmm. choose the good of momentary pleasure over the higher good of our eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. And we do that because our powers, our faculties are all wonky now. Right. Um, we have a tendency to choose more earthly, lower goods 
over our tendency to choose higher goods. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways, and, and human beings have kind of always known this, even if you look um, pre-Christian or um, pagan uh, practices, uh, people disciplining their bodies mm-hmm. so that their intellect can kind of go first. So mm-hmm. their intellect can choose good things. Um, so you have um, ascetics, people who practice fasting, even before Christianity, because mm-hmm. we've always had this intuition that, you know what, my body is desiring these certain things that my mind doesn't want it to have, or at least not have right now. Maybe I can kind of bring my body in line. Right. Okay. Good so far? Yeah. How's, how's quitting smoking going? <laughs> <laughs> it is a severe penance. Oh, my goodness. So here's the thing. Uh, update on Father Anthony's uh, nicotine withdrawal. So I'm definitely past like the the physical, like I'm past the depression, I'm past the mood swings, I'm past the fogginess of mind. Right now where I'm at is nicotine always sounds like a good idea to me. Hmm. So it's like, oh man, it would be great to have some nicotine. And now I'm just dealing with like, you know, after mass, I would have some nicotine as a reward. Or after I ate food, I would have some nicotine. It would be good. Or while I play video games, I would have some nicotine. So it's kind of getting past those rituals right now. It's a difficult thing. Right. But the upside is that now I'm actually starting to begin to sleep better. My appetite is better. And I'm no longer using this substance to kind of mask my feelings. I've been going to prayer more. So it's actually a, kind of a nice little example of how like changing and disciplining your body mm-hmm. helps you get into the more spiritual and intellectual things. Yeah, exactly. So in short, it's Good. going well, but it's still a pain in the freaking butt. Don't start smoking, people. It's bad. Okay. So as I've been kind of talking about, the point of penance is this interior conversion. On a basic level, it's to kind of get your body back in order. But it also is meant to get us back to the proper order of putting putting God first. Mm-hmm. That's why you undergo this. So it is important to remember in penance, even though this is like a, a human activity, it's something that we do, uh, it's not going to do much mm-hmm. unless we first have grace. Exactly. Because it's always God's grace that ultimately transforms us. But what right. God does, because God's, he's weird like this. This is just how he works. I don't know why he works like this, but this is how he works. He always wants us to have a part in our salvation. Mm-hmm. Salvation comes from him. Absolutely. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But God likes having us involved in the process. Mm-hmm. So he allows us to go through these things. He is patient with us. He brings us through these trials. He allows us to experience those things because something about that way of doing things is good. And God likes to do that. So one of the ways we... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, can I just add one? Something I yeah. mentioned to the... This is actually a really good kind of continuation of what we talked about last week when we were talking mm-hmm. about Acedia, right? Ooh, yeah. And um, it's... I would even like to say, even goes further than that. The reason God puts us through these things is because it's actually our way of participating in the whole salvation history, mm. right? Again, like the desert father, or the fathers like to talk about how the desert is the that place of wandering, and it's part of our. We actually God is like bringing us really tr- truly through the Exodus towards the cross, towards resurrection. So we have to go through these things, not just because He wants to just transform us, but because this is the way He worked. Literally in salvation history, he now works spiritually through us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's just... Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. So I have this thought, I'm not sure if it's going to make sense, but it's God... I mean, it's, it's a part of God's whole attitude that he wants us to be taken up into himself. Yeah. And part of that now is because of the incarnation, because of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection we get taken up into that as yeah, well. Exactly. So we're going to suffer. We're going to die. God willing, we'll rise again. And you go through that in various ways through your own life. The church goes through that. Um, in every season, the church goes through suffering, death, and resurrection. Um, yeah, just God wants us to be a part of this stuff. Yeah, because Jesus' way is the way to the real transformation because it's not just about transformation, it's about redemption. Mm-hmm. So you want to be raised up in the body, you have to go his way. Yes. And he has to live it through you. Yeah. So, great. So one of the ways that that happens is through penance. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, the church has seen three major avenues of penance. And if you're a good Catholic, remember these three ways. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. So first of all, prayer. 
prayer can be a penance. Well, uh, you probably experience prayer as a penance, most especially when you go to confession. Uh, maybe you go to confession. The priest says, pray five million Hail Marys because you were such a terrible sinner. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that bothers people. One, because that's way too many Hail Marys. Fair point. But secondly, because we don't like the idea of prayer being a penance because we have mm-hmm. this kind of negative view about penance, like penance as a punishment. Right. I think sometimes that people like view it that way. Uh, it's like, oh, prayer shouldn't be a punishment. Prayer should be um, d- freeing and good. And Well, those things, those two ideas, I don't think they contradict each other. Because um, especially if we're out of the habit of prayer, if we're not in this habit, if it has become difficult for us, then doing this good thing that we should always do, we experience it as a penance, as a pain, as a suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, when God's not giving you all these wonderful constellations and you just need to drag yourself to your holy hour or drag yourself to your holy 15 minutes, you experience it as a discipline. You experience it as a penance. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. So don't feel bad if you feel bad in prayer. And I think like, that's what, yeah. yeah, like the, look at it. It's a way, any, any habit you try to build, right? Mm-hmm. It, remember when you were a kid and you started to learn how to swim? And how many times you would sink and you would freak out because you couldn't tread water properly and everything. But the more you did the lessons, the better you got and the more you enjoyed it because you knew what you were doing finally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the exact, it, there is a very human part to all this that God's just simply trying to build up the uh, habit in us. But yeah. habits, good habits usually suck at first because we've, it, we've grown in the inability to desire that good. Yeah. And so it's about trying to detach ourselves from the false good and putting our hearts onto the real good. Yeah. So a lot of times the pain in any kind of penance is not so much from attaching ourselves to the good. It comes more from detaching ourselves from the bad, I think. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. prayer is a good thing. But like ripping ourselves away from our sloth, ripping ourselves away from our video games, that's where the pain comes in. Right. So we attribute the pain to what God's doing. But it's it's not so much that. It's just that it's painful to detach ourselves from sin. That's mm-hmm. how I look at it. Yeah. Okay. So prayer is penance. Also, fasting. And the idea is if you always give your body whatever it wants when it wants it, then you become more and more enslaved to those desires. Yep. So if I give my body nicotine every time it wants it, over time I become enslaved to that desire. Yep. Or even for things that aren't, you know, as addictive, um, naps or sweets or whatever else it is, mm-hmm. your body will get into that habit. So whenever your body wants something, even if it's something illicit, even if it's something wrong, then you will have this tendency, you have this habit just to give in anyway. Right. So we fast, and that's kind of this basic thing. Human beings need food, but we can also survive, you know, with less food sometimes. Yeah. And doing that kind of violence to the body, it breaks us out of that habit. Your body gets used to not getting what it wants at every single moment. And... The, you know, the desert fathers, the saints, everyone has known this. If you weaken your body in that way, then your soul becomes stronger. Now, the one little caveat we got to put there is, like, you can definitely go overboard with this. And as you can get overboard with anything, like, you're not supposed to literally starve yourself um, because that can actually um, reduce your ability to fight temptation if you, like, do, like, serious violence to your body. So you can't go mm-hmm. super far. But... In general, normal practice is good. Finally, almsgiving. Um, giving away your stuff because we get real attached to our stuff. And by almsgiving, you can also help other people. So three mm-hmm. major ways. Yep. So that's all basic stuff. Let's get into – do you have anything else coming on that? Just – yeah, I'll just say like on a – I've been finding especially um, – I guess all three practices are a means to that sense of detachment that not focusing mm-hmm. on self but focusing on others so okay fine the priest gave you three hail marys at, as your penance at, at confession but that's actually a good thing because it's helping you pray to god more and to get, grow closer to his saints mm-hmm. that's not bad no. every prayer is an act of charity because it's yeah. helping us not look at ourselves. fasting is saying i don't need to feed myself and it's also a uh Helps us to discover our need for God in a in a very beautiful way, actually. When you get hungry and stuff like yeah. that, and almsgiving is a, is is one that uh, it's something I want to really preach on. But I really one day because it's something you have to really uh, you got to really get it fine tuned properly. But right. people are so attached to their money. 
Yep. So attached to it. And they'll give $2 to church every week, but they'll go and spend five bucks every day at Starbucks. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, you got to get that reoriented. Mm-hmm. Got to get that reoriented. And I've noticed that's a particular temptation, especially for priests. Mm-hmm. Um, so after just, it was last weekend, and uh, we were selling hoagies for yep. our you know youth groups, raising yep. money. And this was the day we had so much snow. And I didn't want to drive anywhere for food. They have hoagies. Sweet. I'll get a hoagie. And so went to go buy a hoagie. And of course, you know, what are the guys selling hoagies? Tell me, oh, it's on the house, Father. Oh, it's for free, Father. And mm-hmm. this happens, I don't know if it happens in Canada, but in, in, in the USA, like whenever a parish is selling something, they always give priests free stuff. Or, yep. Father, you can cut in line. Yep. Or, you know, which is people's way of like showing respect and love for their priests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And normally I'm just okay with that. I just accept it because I realize they want to show me love and the right thing to do is to accept that love. Yeah. But every once in a while, like we <clears throat> expect people to put money in envelopes and put those envelopes in the basket. We got to do the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I forced, <laughs> I forced the guy to let me pay for hoagies. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's a painful well, it's not, thing. It's not just that. We literally have to put money in the basket. Yeah. Maybe not at mass. Right. But sign up for pre-authorized debit or something like that. Yeah. Give yeah, money. we're not. We gotta yeah. give money to our churches too. Good. Okay, where was I going with that? Eh, just almsgiving is oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's get into the controversy though. Let's get into the fun stuff. Okay. Well, it's your controversy. It's my controversy, but I want to share it with you, Father Harrison. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> drag me down to your level. Uh, Exodus ninety. So, let's just let's just call it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Father Harrison, this doesn't happen often. It's happened before, like maybe twice in my life, but it happened again. It turns out I was wrong. Wait, uh, can Nick make a bumper? <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. Wrong, 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 you're wrong. wrong. So, uh, yeah, I was wrong. Wow. Uh, I, ladies took- and gentlemen, mark this moment, January 1st, January 21st at 1.22 PM Pacific, oh. 4.22 uh, Eastern. Father Anthony declared that he is wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because my critiques of what I thought Exodus 90 were, were, they were biting, they were sharp, they were amazing. But it turns out that's not what Exodus 90 is. So All right. I actually Tell did some us. research on what it actually is. So okay. Exodus 90 has four pillars. You know, There's 90 days, prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. They say all four taken together lead to freedom. It isn't a secret formula. It isn't something new. This is a tradition of the church. In a particular way, the spirit of the desert fathers of the third and fourth centuries. In fact, there's nothing flashy about this. All that's been done is to represent the Catholic tradition to men who are often unaware of the rich heritage they have received. That's a blurb from their website. Mm-hmm. I read that, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. And so this is what, I was like, okay, but what are these ascetical practices, right? Because I, mm-hmm. from what I had heard, thought I had heard, it was like ridiculous stuff. These are the ascetical practices. Take short, cold showers. Practice regular, intense exercise. Get a full night's sleep at least seven hours recommended, abstain from alcohol, abstain, abstain from, des- from desserts and sweets, abstain from eating between meals, abstain from soda or sweet drinks, abstain from television, movies, or televised sports, uh, from video games, from non-essential material purchases, listen to only listen to music that um, lifts the soul up to God, only use the computer for work, school, or essential tasks, 
only use mobile devices for essential communications, and practice fasting days, Wednesdays and Fridays. Abstain from meat and only eat one full meal as well as two smaller meals together that are not equal to a full meal. Mm-hmm. Did any of that sound like super extreme to you? Um, it seems like a lot to me. It is a lot. And so... But- it's not outside of what the church ordinary, right. ordinarily recommends for things. Well, she doesn't, and, she doesn't recommend take short, cold showers. Okay, so... Or to regularize, to do regular intense exercise. Okay, but... So, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, do your thing. I won't, I won't interrupt. This is where my hesitation is. I think it's not a bad thing to do, but I think it's something you need to do with the advice of a spiritual director to see if it's something that's doable. But because here's the thing. My here's worry the thing, is, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They say you should have a spiritual director when you do this. And to discern if you should do it. Right. I guess. Sure. My worry is, is people like, Oh yeah, this sounds awesome. Like it, it kind of, I get how it can feed that like kind of masculine. Uh, oh yeah. I got to just do all these really amazing things. Yeah. And then you fail after the first week because it's too much right away. Mm-hmm. Like I, the way I look at it is this: like I, this is why I like something like Saint Louis de Montfort's uh, consec- total consecration to Mary. It slowly intensifies, mm-hmm. and it builds up because again, that's how you build a habit. I think I would have less resistance to this whole program if it was something you were building up towards mm-hmm. throughout, instead of just saying, "Just go in the deep end, just do it." And <laughs> I find that kind of a little Pelagian. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with your critiques. Okay. Uh, but I've been thinking a lot about this because that that um, gut instinct, that manly, that uh, I need to do something extreme and just do it, that's not an entirely bad thing. No, it's not. Like that that zeal, that desire for the heroic, it, it, it has an important place in the spiritual life. Uh-huh. And there are times where in order to get to a good place, you have to kind of go to the extreme. I mean, for example, um, what's a retreat? You don't get to pray as often as you normally do. Um, on a, re- a, a retreat, you get to pray more often than you would right. normally do, mm-hmm. right? You would get these talks. You have this time. You have all this stuff that you don't normally have. It's an extreme time mm-hmm. to get your holy life, get your spiritual life back in order. But we don't say retreats are bad. And I sort of see the same thing with this. But... So yeah, okay. So first of all, absolutely, you should have a spiritual director and discern whether or not this is for you. Yeah. Um, because I also think a part of what the heroic is, a part of what the masculine is, is doing the ordinary thing well. Right. When you think of a good father, and I more and more, I am utterly convinced that our struggle with masculinity, our crisis, if you will, and I'm not sure if it's a crisis because I think this is something that has been going on since the fall. But the proper way to understand masculinity is to see it through the lens of fatherhood. Mm -hmm. So when you think of a good father, a good father most of the time isn't doing the spectacular. Most of the time isn't doing the heroic. Mm -hmm. He is suffering and guiding and leading his, uh, suffering for his family, leading and guiding every day through ordinary circumstances. Mm -hmm. He's going to work every day. Mm -hmm. He's making sure to pray every day. He's doing these ordinary things as well as he can. And it's that consistency that actually is heroic. And that consistency, which develops this habit in his soul. So when he is called to do something extraordinary, it becomes second nature for him. Mm -hmm. Because it's just another instance of what he has always done. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes that the ordinary gets lost when Catholics are struggling to find what does masculinity mean. So... One of the things that I criticize and others criticize, well, you go on this website, what's the first thing you see? You see Braveheart. Braveheart. Oh my gosh, don't, don't get even me wrong. get started. Okay, so don't get me wrong. Uh, I love Braveheart. The first time I saw it, I got emotional. The first time I saw Braveheart, it was at the seminary. I, I, I've, I was moved. I went to the chapel and I prayed like I never prayed before. There's something good about Braveheart. It's a good movie, but why are we so obsessed with it? Why Catholic are we men? so obsessed with it? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. You know why we're so obsessed with it? Because we are so lost as men. We're, we're a generation without fathers, spiritually speaking, and sometimes, you know, naturally speaking. And so those like over the top, 
in your face, freedom, strength, swords. It's like this, um, it's like like the cocaine of masculinity. So we get real excited for it uh, because it's like this overdose of it. And then we begin to attach ourselves to that idea. And that's when something that is good in and of itself, I'm not saying cocaine is good in and of itself. Be careful with the metaphors, people. But anyway, it that becomes all masculinity is. Mm-hmm. But as I was actually reading Exodus 90s, like actual stuff, for the most part, I think all that stuff, it's just marketing. It's just branding. And I, I hate it, but I kind of get but like, why, why people do why, it. Why, why okay. Braveheart and not the cross? Because Man, oh, the fullest revelation even... of man is Jesus crucified, not going into a war. Yeah. I mean, you're right. <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying you can't use secular. Maybe because we're not ready for the cross, but we're ready for Braveheart. Maybe by tricking people with Braveheart, we can get them to the cross. I don't know. I, you're not this wrong. Is, I'm trying a, to like be as fair I just, as I can. Yeah, I know. I just it's just very all interesting to me as a Canadian because this is all like very American ways of going about masculinity and stuff like that. that well, is, what is what is more masculine than America? <laughs> and I would actually, it's kind of funny. I'd actually pit. Uh, your president and our prime minister is kind of actually how our our country see masculinity. You know what? <laughs> um, that's fascinating. That's a fascinating and it's point. Kind of true and scary, it, isn't it? Though <laughs> there are two different examples of our crisis in masculinity. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I'm no, thinking it off. It, that it was off. amazing. Uh, <laughs> that's a very good point. Okay. All right. So, uh, uh, okay. So. A few more things with this. So I think we have the same concerns. And one of the major concerns that you brought up is, and I've seen this, I've experienced this. It's a common thing that the enemy will trick you into pride when you are pursuing holiness. He will take that zeal. Mm -hmm. He'll point you in the wrong direction and he'll trip you up. And once you fall in the mud, he'll just push your face right into it. Yeah. And we've experienced this all. Everyone has experienced this before. Where, like, all right, I'm going to do better now. And we start making these big promises to God. We start making these big vows to God. And we feel really good about them. And we're going to start tomorrow morning. And then the next day, we just fall on our faces. Or the next couple days, we fall on our Then the shame and the guilt and the worthlessness gets piled on. Yeah. And then you're in a worse place. Mm -hmm. That's because those um, vows you made, those promises you made, they weren't of God. They were of your own pride. Yeah. And of you trying to save yourself. Mm -hmm. And you had no idea what God actually desired for you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, You thought God desired your strength. Maybe what he desired was your weakness. Yeah. It's a common trip up in the spiritual life. And so that's one thing I worry about stuff like this. Yeah. If people don't have a good spiritual director. Can I, with that, my my other concern is, uh, because I've encountered a few people where, knowing them a little bit, I don't feel that they are spiritually prepared to do this. Yeah. They might just be coming back to the faith or whatever, or it is all. And I'm just like, it's too much too quick. Um, it's too much too quick. And, or they're struggling with a serious sin and they're looking at this as almost like the magical solution. Okay. So let's talk about that real quick. Okay. Uh, let's talk about pornography. Yep. Cause that's a big Cause one. This, yeah. So, and it, it kind of mentions it on the website. This desire for freedom, the struggle against pornography, and this is this is a huge cultural societal thing, um, and even just sins of the flesh in general. And it's one thing you learn very quickly as a priest. Like most everybody struggles with it, whether yep. they're eighteen or whether they're like seventy-four. Yep, uh, you hear it all the time in yep. various ways. So it's it's a terrible thing, and we don't talk about it because, like, when do you talk about it? But it's important thing to talk about. Yeah. Here's my concern with with that, uh, that if you treat your addiction to pornography and masturbation uh, simply as an addiction or simply as this practice you need to change, mm-hmm. you may be avoiding some deeper spiritual and psychological wounds that are within you. Mm-hmm. Most often, uh, I have found um, these sexual sins they are almost always symptoms of something else in your life. Mm -hmm. And there can be this temptation to like, no, if I just stop doing this, if I just try hard enough, then they'll go away. 
well, that kind of attitude can really mess you up psycho psychologically, uh, psychologically, sexually, spiritually, if you're not dealing with those deeper inner wounds. So that's a worry. I mean, that's where you see the problem with like repression. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you see with poor formation of priests in the past. Mm-hmm. Where, like if you just beat this, if you just, just, you know, uh, well then you might get all messed up. Yeah. So that's my worry. Like if you're not examining this, um, with a spiritual director, if you're not examining this in a healthy way with a good, um, psychologist, then you may be doing more harm to yourself. Yeah. Now that being said, that being said, like if you've done all that examination, you are aware of your interior life, you know mm-hmm. why this is going on. Well, then you might still just have a habit. Right. And then the habit needs to be broken. Yeah. And maybe something like this can help just break that habit. Yeah. But you need both sides. But that's the thing. I guess it's, I think people who are sometimes attracted to something like this actually don't have a regular prayer life. Yes. Like my thing is, if you don't have a regular prayer life, you probably shouldn't do Exodus 90. Yes, correct. Uh, because you don't have the first thing in place necessary to sustain you because you will feel alone and you're going to go through, you're going to go through a whole gamut of emotions in all of this. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go through a whole gamut of, um, uh, uh, of your desires coming out in different areas because you can't do and eat the things that you used to. Mm-hmm. If you don't have prayer to sustain you, you're not going to have victory. It's why like when I, when I talk to people who are struggling with pornography and we, we will do an episode on this one day for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, I always at the first question I always ask them, well, how's your prayer life? Mm-hmm. Most of the time it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and so if it sucks, I'm like, Exodus 2 9 is too big for you. You, it need, is. To, you need to start praying every day first. Mm-hmm. Once you can get that going and you can get that going for a sustained period every day, then yeah. we can talk. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, yeah. So, and the idea between uh, in Exodus 90 is that you have this fraternity of people. Yep. And that's, um, a, re- and that's a really important thing. It's an excellent thing. But like I said, like if those people, if they're all unprepared for it, like uh, fraternity and community can be bad too. Yeah. Like you can have a group of guys who are lying to each other, who are competing with each other in an unhealthy way. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why the importance of, yes, having a spiritual director guide all this, but also each individual member of that community being ready to do this. Mm -hmm. So I think there are like a lot of caveats. I guess that's why I have a problem with their website and the way they present this. Um, Like, uh, so you got the Braveheart thing on there. You've got, are you ready for more? Well, what guy wants to say no? Right. Um, You know, or uh, these things. So it's, it's just, uh, this is a problem in the church right now is that we keep throwing programs at people yeah. and we keep throwing fixes at people but what we need are you know, what we really need are more holy spiritual directors yeah. what we need are um, a deeper understanding of the interior life that's not just coming from a book but it's coming from our priests and yeah. from our religious sisters you know uh, we need it coming from you know our families it's just it's dangerous because there's so yeah. many people who, who feel aimless who don't have a spiritual director, who maybe feel lost in their parish or their parish isn't feeding them. So they're looking for something to help them. They stumble upon this and there's a chance it might make it worse. There's a chance it might make it worse. Yeah. Um, And I think like, again, like this is not like all programs are not bad per se. Right. But it's just, and I, and I I think for me, the the redeeming quality of this program is the fact that it's got that fraternity thing. Like you're supposed to meet with your group every week and mm-hmm. talk about things and share about your prayer life. And like, it, so, and I think that's actually the biggest fruit. Like I would almost be like, man, if Exodus 90 was just, we're all doing a holy hour every day, we're fasting once a week and then we're getting together once a week, man, that would be huge, I think. Yeah, um, just, call it, just call it Father Harrison 90 and uh, exactly. start, well, actually, start <laughs> funny the money for it. it. So I, I've, I've been, I've been, cause I think, again, I think it's on the right track. I, I just, I feel, I feel it's a little American and a little programmatic for my liking. And mm-hmm. I tend to react, overreact towards programs. Sure. So, but there is something to that intentional building a community. Like I, I'll just kind of share this is, um, at my parish, I've been kind of really praying about, okay, how do we, how do we grow? How do we evangelize? And I've just really started to realize programs aren't it. Yeah. It's not it. Um, so I sent out an email a few weeks ago to about eight or nine parishioners who are pretty involved in the parish, mm-hmm. people who have a good prayer life and everything. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I can't fast every day. I would be insufferable. At least I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I would be insufferable to everyone. Sure. 
but I can do one day a week for sure. Maybe even two if I, as I grow into this more. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, so what I did, I said, oh, here's, I, this is my proposal to my group and I've got seven people on board now. So I said, I want, we're going to fast six days a week, one person every day, except for Sundays. Cause Sundays are a day of feasting. And I think Sunday should be feasting. And that's one of my things with Exodus, by the way, it needs to take account of festivities as well. You do not uh, fast. With, you do not fast when the bridegroom is present. It actually yeah. makes you appreciate those things in that moment often. But anyways, wasn't that today's gospel? I don't know. I haven't said mass yet. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, so we're going to get them to pray, do one day of fasting every week for the sake of the parish, mm. one holy hour every week. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get together once a month for a meal on a Sunday and talk about yeah. our faith life. And I thought, and already, because like some of them have already even just started, even though we haven't met yet. Yeah. Uh, you're already seeing fruit of this. People nice. are, are coming out of the woodwork saying, I haven't been to church in years. Come in, come. I don't even know this person is from a hole in the wall. But that's the fruit of, because then you're placing a trust in God to do his work too, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't say it to boast or anything about things, but I just think that the more hidden and I, I like that fraternal side and it's kind of hidden, mm-hmm. but I mean like that fraternal side of things and everything that really helps, uh, that, that brings real growth. The yeah. best form of holiness is the hidden form. Yeah. I mean, that's where we got to start. Yeah. The ordinary, the hidden, that's where God mostly does his work. He does it through the ordinary. That was um, my homily this weekend. <laughs> hey, there we go. We're in sync. Hey, uh, let's find out what, uh, Tommy has to say about this. Tommy there. Tommy. 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 Hmm. Hmm. How disappointing. Yeah. Well, I guess Tommy's he, not going to join us today. Uh, we tried, folks. We tried really hard this week. Um, he just dropped the ball. Hmm. But thanks for listening. Hey, please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. And tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we should love our enemies. You can find me at Father Shirapa on Twitter. You can find me at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. God bless.